Thank you for tuning in today. This is episode number 222 of the Hunt Backcountry podcast, and we're kicking off a new series called Pack Essentials. The goal of this series is to talk about the essential gear that needs to be in your pack for backpack style hunting. In this first episode, we're talking about shelters and sleep systems. We cover these topics from a very high level, talking about the different types of shelters, and then go into specifics, comparing pros and cons, as well as getting into particular models that Steve and I have both had experience in. This is a good recap if you're getting started into backpack hunting or into backpacking, or if you're looking to make some changes and upgrades in your shelter or sleep system, there's some great information in here for you as well. Again, this is just the first of several episodes in the Pack Essential series that's going to be running throughout the month of May. So be sure you hit that subscribe button to receive the future episodes in this series. As always, we thank you for tuning in. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can just email podcast at exomountaingear.com. All right, let's dive right in and start talking shelters and sleep systems. Steve, welcome to the show. Uh, Excited to talk shelters and sleep systems today, man. Yeah, I think if you've been listening to the podcast at all, you know that uh, we're both gear junkies and and shelter is a big portion of the pack. That's why we're including it in this kind of pack essentials uh, series. Yeah, it's definitely one of the most important considerations. Um, Could be super critical on not only your comfort, but really the success of a hunt in terms of how long can you stay out there, how much time can you devote to a hunt versus dealing with issues that might arise from shelter choice um so yeah we'll we'll talk about kind of different categories of shelters our experiences within those categories uh specific products we have used in the past do use now um and all that but just to kind of kick things off i mean this really starts with you can't just pick a shelter you can't say that this is the best um we can't make recommendations for you the listener without knowing what you're doing. Um, it's one of those deals where you can pick a do-it-all shelter for sure. Like you can have just one choice um, that can accommodate a wide variety of conditions and seasons and places. But then there's also a lot of specificity in how to best choose a shelter for certain places, conditions, seasons, etc. So where do you kind of start, you know, what do you think would be a good high level first consideration on beginning to narrow this topic down because it's it's one of the things that can be overwhelming is how many different styles and options there are out there where do you start steve um yeah you just got to identify where you're under that you're going to be hunting in and that can vary drastically obviously um so you know i think if we're talking about western uh, rocky mountain states hunting in let's just say scouting late July through hunting end of October, you're going to probably see an average of, you know, uh, 70, 80 on the high and 10 to 20 on the low, uh, with, I don't think wind, um, is a major consideration. Um, not, not like it would be if you're going to Alaska, uh, any quality tent's going to be able to withstand, uh, any wind or, um, a lot of that's just on campsite choice, right? Just being very particular about where you're pitching your camp and making sure you're not in an area that's going to get hammered by wind. Um, and then weather, 
yeah, I mean, anywhere from obviously hot, sunny, dry nights to uh, you could see a foot of snow overnight. So you kind of need a, uh, if you had to pick one, you got to pick one tent that could kind of handle all those, which fortunately a lot will. Uh, yeah. I think the vast majority of your choices are going to be able to handle the weather. So from there, it's, um, you know, all the other decisions that go into it. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to weather, you're thinking wind, um, precipitation, meaning how much and quantities. Obviously, things can vary in the mountains, but you're also going to know, am I hunting desert? Am I hunting typical, like, Rocky Mountain high country? Am I hunting coastal in certain areas where precipitation's higher or lower chance? Um, temp considerations, as you mentioned. If you're getting into later seasons and snow, it's not only a matter of, um, you know, keeping snow out from a shelter perspective, but potentially handing, handling snow loads. So there's all kinds of variables with wind. But as you mentioned, the good thing is for probably what most folks do, most shelters can handle it. Um, I mean, the wind one is obviously fresh on our minds, Steve, having just come off of this past fall in Alaska. And, you know, you guys have heard it if you've heard the stories about that trip. But I was using a shelter on that trip with my buddy Jared that we had used for, I think, four, five years prior, um, and that we had in good, significant winds in Colorado, that we thought it would be plenty stable in high winds, but (laughs) high winds in Colorado and high winds in Alaska are clearly two different things. And as you mentioned, part of that's um, just protection Uh, in Colorado. It's much easier to get into the trees, get into a bowl, find some level of protection where if you're in the wide open in Alaska, then it's a totally different story. So yeah, I mean, that's a good place to start is just weather and really understanding what are the demands that you're going to be up against. And obviously part of this comes to forethought. If you're looking for a shelter option that is good for this season, whatever your plans may be, um, and you're on a budget, you also want to have the forethought to think, well, what am I going to do in the future? And am I spending money now that needs to set me up for other conditions that might be planned in the future? Mm-hmm. You know, just to run through some of the other considerations, obviously a big one's going to be size. Um, are you looking at a solo shelter? Are you looking at a two man, meaning actually fitting two men shelter? And we can talk about maybe some of the <laughs> the issues with what is and isn't a two man shelter. But, you know, thinking through those strategies is important. Um, when it comes to size, you're also thinking of livability. Are you looking for a shelter where you just need to sleep and get out of the weather? Or do you need it to be sized where you have some livability in terms of how much time you spend in the shelter. Do you want to be able to cook there and eat there and sit up and play a game? Do you need to have room to maybe dry stuff out? Like there's all kinds of considerations with size, um, not to mention the size of the individual. So uh, if you're 6'4 and 5'10, then your choice and even solo shelters, for example, might be much different based off of um, your size. Another huge thing that comes in with size is the size of the footprint of the tent and the terrain in the country that you're hunting. And can you set up this shelter easily and find spots that can accommodate that size of shelter easily? Which I know Steve will we'll probably dive into it later as we talk specifics, but that's one thing that you faced in your past experiences, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've used pretty much every shelter option out there over the last decade plus. Um, and, uh, yeah, 
there's um I think yeah we've definitely hit on it before in the past but the the style that we've evolved into where we pack up camp every morning and, and just hunt off of our backs um that does not lend itself very well to shelters that need a lot of of um their square footage basically flat ground uh to pitch your tent they you know because you just basically when it's you're hunting animals and when it's dark you just start looking around for a place to sleep or you know obviously you kind of strategize it it's getting evening time all right we want to be up on that ridge so we can glass in the morning and you, you kind of head that direction and get there in the dark um so you're, you're definitely finding camp spots with your headlamp more often than not um and finding big flat areas and steep you know especially steep idaho mountains those are um they're not uh abundant let's put it that way so there's so plenty of times you're you're walking around for half an hour with your headlamp trying to find a nice flat spot so ha- having that the, the footprint size is a major consideration to me and again that's directly related to the style of your hunting so if you're not hunting as mobile um if you're hunting from a roadside camp or you're even packing into the backcountry, but you do more of a hey, we're going to set up this backcountry base camp, if you will. Like We're setting camp here for the next three, four days. We're not moving every night. We're not taking the shelter up and down every morning and every evening. Then maybe that's not a factor. Um, So that usability and mobility perspective of how often are you setting this up? How often are you tearing it down? What type of terrain are you doing that in? That's going to be a massive, massive consideration. The one thing that we kind of talked about earlier, and it's just a thought that popped in my head, is like all these tents um, are great when the weather's nice. Um, and it, it really, I think a big deciding factor is how much, um, I lost my train of thought here a little bit, but it, basically when the weather's bad, what features do you want? What are you able to live with? Um, you know, because there's definitely going to be times when, um, gosh, I can think of a, a hunt in Wyoming, Jason and I did for deer a few years back where, we, we were split apart, but we both spent 24 hours inside of our tents just waiting for the weather to clear. It was just uh, pouring rain and foggy and, and just miserable, cold, wet weather. Um, and that's a scenario where I'm really glad I didn't have a bivy sack, uh, right? Because I, I was able to sit up inside the tent and cook and eat and hang out. And um, So when the, when the weather's nice, it really doesn't matter what you pick. So a lot of your decision is how – what do you want to – sacrifice to have um you know certain features in your tent when when it's when the weather does turn bad yeah um so is that yeah is that um a big tent is it uh, a teepee with a stove um or are you willing to be in a bivy sack and huddle huddle underneath a tree uh knowing that that potential could not be very fun why when a weather when a bad storm comes in but you're willing to take that risk on in order to to, to save a couple pounds in your pack and that even goes back to the, do you choose, like, say you are hunting with a buddy or in some, some level of group beyond solo, do you choose multiple single man shelters? Do you choose a larger mm-hmm. shelter that you can share? I mean, it can be nice not to uh, have to sleep next to Lenny, for example, who snores like crazy. <laughs> um, but at the same time, if you're also maybe in the later season or just in areas that tend to have worse weather, it can be terrible to be stuck in a tent by yourself and just yell across at each other um, versus being in a tent together, being able to play cards or do something like that. So that's, you know, that's a consideration on size as well. And it's one of those things where you get later into the season or just in examples such as Alaska, where that's something I look for. You know, if, it, if bad weather is a probability, if 
spending any significant time in shelter is a probability that that quote unquote social aspect to help you pass time and be able to do activities and sit around and BS is beneficial versus being stuck in a, you know, each guy in their own one man tent. Mm-hmm. Another, uh, just like basic thing, but that I used to never think about, but now I'm always looking at is, um, entry and exit. So it's kind of depends on the shelter choice. We'll talk about in the categories, but, um, taking traditional tents, for example, we'll get into, there's a lot of styles that I've used in the past that looked great, but I've discovered that the entry and exit drove me nuts and especially like front entry stuff. So um, looking at some different Big Agnes tents that I've used here, design tents that I've used, um, which we'll talk more about. But that's just something to consider, especially if you are sharing a shelter. Um, that entry and exit point, are you fighting over each other? Or are you trying to both like get in and out and get your boots on and off without tracking them in? And how is that entry and exit set up? Um, because that's a big factor in usability. Um, or it can be, again, especially if you're not looking specifically solo. Um, obviously, from there, you can talk about durability, price. Um, we will hit on that. Obviously, everybody's budget is different. Um, durability kind of goes back to talking about terrain and the type of demands that the shelter is going to face, that type of thing. Um, and then condensation. Yeah, I was going to say, with durability, like I don't... I don't know if they're besides like going to Walmart or buying a tent at like target. Um, I think any quality shelter, like we talked about earlier with the weather you're going to face on the lower 48, any quality shelter by any, any brand that's, you know, again, not just sold at Walmart. I don't think you're really going to have durability issues. Anything you could buy at REI or some of these smaller like tarp tents and, um, uh, who's the other six moons designs from these other smaller kind of cottage manufacturers. Um, yeah, I don't know if dur- durability is something to consider. I think that plays way more into effect when you talk about Alaska, uh, when you talk about, um, you know, places, if you're trying to do like late, late season where you're going to see significant weather and snow, you know, if you're trying to go late November, December. Um, but I think for the average guy, durability is, you know, probably not near as much of an issue as you might think. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends, though, too. There's um, a lot of the tents that are hitting that ultralight scale from a materials perspective, zipper perspective. Like, some of that stuff's just flat out. It is durable enough as long as you treat it properly. Um, but I think it maybe yes. if guys are new to it and new to, like, some of the ultralight materials and they're just not thinking through um, how mm, they treat yeah, that, yeah, they yeah. could run into issues for sure. So, yeah, yeah I don't think for it's... Sure, yeah. Yeah, I think the tent can be durable. Even the ultralight tents can be durable. Maybe just it's worth noting, like, treat it with some level of um, forethought in terms of, you know, looking at small, how small and light some of the zippers and materials are. Right, yeah. Definitely, like, the footprint of it, um, you know, the floor of your shelter. Yeah, you just every time I ever pitch a tent, I spend a good, you know, minute to five minutes clearing out underneath the shelter make sure there's no sharp sticks Mo- mainly that's for my sleeping pad that i don't pop it but also to protect the bottom of the shelter so um i remember uh lenny borrowed it was a big agnes fly creek this was years ago and um yeah he just brought it back after a scouting trip and just the the bottom was ripped to shreds he's like this thing sucks i'm like what do you what'd you do to this thing like well like the only place i could pitch it was on some rocks like well yeah no 
no kidding. You freaking put holes in the bottom of it, you know, like, um, so that's definitely something I guess to consider. Yeah. Lenny living up to his nickname of the destroyer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll we'll hit on a lot of these considerations again as we dive deeper um, and talk about when they come into play for certain types of shelters. But I guess Steve, to kick things off, let's let's start talking about the quote unquote traditional tent. And by that, I mean, you know, you go to REI, you're looking at something that's dual wall, so you have a tent body, um, you have a tent fly, traditional pole supported. Um, potentially freestanding or not, that type of thing. Um, you know, as soon as I start thinking about that type of tent, it honestly makes me think of forever ago. Um, I bought a used marmot. God, I don't even know what the heck that was from you. Do you remember that marmot uh, tent? Mar, I want to say a something. Um, aura, Aurora. Yeah, something I don't like that. know. But yeah. too long ago. <laughs> too long ago. Like probably seven years ago. But I still have that sucker. Do you really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's a good tent. Yeah. yeah. So go back to, I guess, for you, Steve, when you first started backpacking, backpack hunting, I mean, you were using these quote unquote traditional backpacking tents. Um, what were some of those options? What did you start with? Um, what are just in general we can hit maybe some of the models, um, some of the things to look for, some of the pros and cons of this category of tent? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say your traditional pole supported, you know, basically inner inner mesh tent with a rain fly that goes on top of it. Um, that's probably going to be oh, 75% of the stuff you're going to see out there. Um, definitely the majority of what, if you go to REI, that's what's going to be there. Um, there's two, uh, thoughts on, on, or two design directions. Those go one is freestanding where basically it does not require any stakes, uh, to, to keep the tent pitched and, and, and upright. And the other is a non freestanding tent, Hilleberg is going to be a good example of a lot of their designs are non-freestanding. So you put the pole, the poles into these sleeves and the, the tent itself is just laying on the ground, um, even with the poles inserted. And you actually have to use the stakes and pull it tight for the, for the structure to actually pop up. Um, those can be lighter because they don't the poles typically don't have to run like corner to corner across the structure. Uh, the downside is if you don't have good ground to put the stakes in, they can collapse on you. So say you get a super heavy wind and it, and it pulls the stake out of the ground, your tent's just going to fall down. Uh, so you have to be very conscientious when you have a non-freestanding tent that you have good stakes and when you're picking your, your campsite um, that you have good ground that you're sticking that into that you, you know, maybe if it's soft ground, there's plenty of times I've put heavy rocks on top of the stakes after I've already put them into the ground. Um, there's something you have to be conscientious about. And again, yeah, that's going to be your, your, um, the, your main two styles there. Another benefit of freestanding that I really like is the fact that you can just pick it up and move it really easy. <laughs> so you pick out like what your right, spot right. is um, and you set up your tent and then you're like, Oh, if I shift it, you know, two feet to the left or whatever. Right. So if it's a freestanding tent, you can, because it is retains its own structure, as you mentioned, without being staked down, you can literally just pick the sucker up and move it, which can be really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think my first backpacking tent ever was like a um, Eureka Mountain Pass XT or something like that. And I thought it was light and cool at the time. And it's like an eight pound tent, you know, that four guys could sleep in. Um, and uh, and then I think um, I'm sure there's some other ones in between. But the next one I do remember is that Marmot tent. Used that for quite a few years. Um, I think the 
common thought uh, was because uh, uh, probably you know ten plus years ago there wasn't these super light one man tents. I mean maybe there was some, but they they weren't to the you know to the degree that they are now. So usually like you were better off to get a two man tent and then divide the tent itself in half. So your buddy packs the poles and stakes and you do the fly in the body and you could kind of, that was your lightest option to get back in there and have a good, have a good tent on you. Um, I think it's changed a lot now. There's so many really good shelter options that are at two pounds or less for one man that, um, uh, you know, I think there's a serious argument to be made for, for having one man shelters. But, um, um, so yeah, I went to that marmot tent. Um, another great one I owned a few years later was a, a tarp tent moment DW, probably the nicest design tent I've ever used. Um, that thing is a non freestanding tent it had a one center pole and then basically two stakes on the end. So it was a, a pole and two stakes and that thing pitched really, really well. Um, loved the tent. My only, um, thing i didn't like about it was going back to footprint size it was a very wide tent um that's actually that year that i was hunting in wyoming um and the specific country jason and i were in uh for deer there there just flat spots did not exist there was a couple places we found where people had literally packed a shovel in there and dug out a flat spot into the mountain just to have a place to pitch a tent um but it was a really wide uh, tent for a one person um, big Agnes fly Creek is, that was definitely, that was, would have been prior to the tarp tent. That's going back. That is a great all around shelter. Um, it's easy to, to pick it apart because it is a front entry, which a lot of people gripe about and there's not a ton of room on the inside, but for what that shelter does, how light it is, man, that's a great, great choice. Um, yeah, it's worth noting too. Like those are for how light they are. They are impressively stable too. Um, yeah, yeah. Like even plenty of guy out points. Yeah, plenty of guy out points. Simple design, as you said. Like you know, front entry is not the greatest, but again, it is because of that front entry and the design and the layout. It does have one of those smaller footprints. Like they're some of the big Agnes stuff is still. If you're you know shopping to traditional stuff, it's a good option to consider for guys. Yeah, freestanding. It's a really a great tent. I mean, it's like I said, it's super easy to, to nitpick that apart. Um, and you you can go with a two man because uh, it's really a one and a half man, as we kind of alluded to earlier, talking about <laughs> two man tents. Um, a two man, and your those things are like low. I haven't looked in a few years, but I know it's probably like two pounds, four or five ounces or something for the two man version of that. Um, that's a great great option. So. Yeah, to this day, I still, um, in this category, I still use the Nemo Hornet, um, the two-person there. Again, it's one of those, like, most two-person backpacking tents. It's going to be tight for two big guys. Um, it's really good for, like, me and the wife, me and one of the kids. It's a great polis. Um, You know, if I'm solo, like, for the weight, it's in that little over two-pound category for a traditional tent. Um, it is dual side entry, dual vestibule. So it's, it's a choice, um, that's nice. Something that I still use on occasion. Um, you know, something to keep in mind with this category of tent in general is for me being like back in the Midwest, 
in certain parts of the year, I just don't want to do floorless. So here we do have a ton of ticks. We do have a ton of, you know, other critters, chiggers and snakes and all kinds of stuff where like in certain times of the year come spring here, I might be backpacking in, you know, just or in general backpacking trip or going on like a turkey hunt, something like that. And I just don't want to do floorless. So that's still a shelter um, that I gravitate to and have used it out West on multiple trips as well. So that's, that's another good option to consider um, as something like the Nemo. Um, but both the Nemo and the Big Agnes would be like two of the two of the places I'd start to look if you're looking in this category of tent and looking, um, you know, at the general stores, if you will, be it from REI or what have you. Um, yeah. Steve, you can like step up in this category. Um, you know, even thinking of we've kind of focused on these lighter backpacking tents but talk about like the hilleberg a little bit more or you know if alaska's on your radar the cabela's um guide type tents like that type of thing is still going to fall within this category but essentially basically the next level um in terms of durability stability and weight but for certain cases you need to step up for that um so go ahead and hit those a little bit yeah, I mean, Hilleberg's going to be a premium example of a four-season tent. Um, so basically everything everything that we're just talking about but but beefed up, typically going to be uh, more pull, pull structure to handle heavier snow loads, to handle higher wind loads, um, going to just be heavier. You could, you know, not quite, but pretty much kind of double the weight right away. So a, a good, you know, um, lightweight one-man tent uh for a three plus like a big agnes is going to be two pounds you get into hilleberg you're going to jump up to three and a half four pounds pretty quickly uh, they have a couple like their enins i think a pretty light structure um but uh pretty much going to kind of double the weight uh with the thought that you're going to have basically you know um not to like alaska is pretty hardcore just there's no way but no other way to put it uh, there's just weather that you're going to experience or that you never experienced down here and um you the, the shelter could be make or break for your life like i mean it's not really an exaggeration to say that if you're uh, out there in the middle of nowhere and your shelter just you know blows apart on you and you have nothing left and it's 50 mile an hour winds and raining and snowing um that's going to be you know it's a whole different ball game in my opinion um and that's what those tents are designed to do and obviously See way overkill for 95% of the time in the lower 48. Um, but uh, Hilberg and Hand 2, I used that tent for quite a few years. Um, it was one of my, still one of my favorite tents I've used to date. That's um, a great two man tent. I think it was right around four ish pounds, four, four and a half. Um, awesome, awesome tent. So a uh, big, big vestibule. Um, and I think the only reason I just started looking for lighter options and one man options, that was about the time we started packing up camp every morning and hunting off our back. And it, it is a, it's not a super wide tent, but it's a pretty long tent. And, and again, just going back to that requires a lot of space to find a place to pitch it. So, yeah, I mean, so just to kind of like summarize this category, um, a bit kind of recap some pros and cons, Number one, there's a lot of options, um, and that can be a good thing. It's easier to shop for these types of tents because you can go to REI, you can go to Sportsman's, whatever. Like You can go to local big box stores and see these tents, check them out, try them out, all that type of thing. Um, because they're so readily available and there's so many options on the market, it's probably a lot easier to get deals on these types of tents as well. So if you're shopping 
off season or, you know, you just, you hit those random deals. There's definitely plenty of opportunity to, um, get into these types of shelters, you know, potentially at a better price in terms of finding some sort of clearance deal, something like that. Yeah. They can be comfortable for sure. Um, you know, you get kind of the benefits of the dual wall system. Um, you can do things like take the fly off and needed. You can ventilate them for the most part, pretty well, um, on a lot of them, you know, the weight, um, can be good for sure. I mean, you can get down, like we talked about kind of that two pound range at the low end, but it's also really easy if you are shopping and not paying too close attention, you can end up with something that's five pounds. So that's just something to keep in mind on these. Um, and as we talked about, it's, there's going to be a lot of big differences on are you looking at a one-man shelter are you looking at a two-man shelter if you're truly looking to put two big guys in there like is the two the quote-unquote two-man even big enough um and so again just understanding two is that site selection so it's going to be a bigger footprint you're going to need probably more stakes it potentially is going to be freestanding that type of thing so those are just you know some of the things to look at and think through um, with this category of shelters. Anything else there, Steve, that you want to add in there? I mean, we started with the shelter category. I um, personally, outside of uh, Alaska this year, I haven't used this type of tent in quite a few years. Uh, but it's if you're new to backpacking, it's a really safe, great choice. Um, that Because it is going to do everything from July through November, You know, for most part, do it very, very well. Um, you, like I said, you're going to be in general, a little bit heavier, uh, maybe one to three pounds than some of the other lighter options we're going to talk about. Um, but it's just a great, safe all around choice. Um, and you're going to get a lot out of it. One thing we didn't hit is some of these tents, Hilberg, uh, is one of them for sure. The tarp tent is that they, the poles are, there's kind of two different ways to do it, but the poles are actually attached to the rain fly. Um, and so the inner tent can be removed. So it is a way to do, uh, basically a shell only and save some weight. Um, so if you are in an area where the bugs aren't an issue, ticks aren't an issue, um, typically, you know, any, any place in the, the Rockies and in, in September, October, most of the bugs and, and everything are gone. So it's a matter of just, do you feel comfortable sleeping on the ground? Um, so that's definitely a, a weight savings options that, that a lot of those tents do have. Um, other than that, I think there one thing we didn't really hit there is condensation. Um, double walled tents are regarded as you know great for condensation in the sense that uh, you still get the same amount of condensation as some of the single wall shelters, but you basically have that inner tent in between you and the outer tent, so it's not necessarily dripping on you. It's not running down the walls and kind of getting to the, on the bottom of the your tent. Um, so they're in general kind of perceived to do better. Uh, they don't actually do better. It's just that, um, that you're not coming in contact with that condensation in the morning, which is, is nice. You know, when it's, you wake up and it's 20 degrees, the last thing you want to be doing is like brushing your shoulder against a soaking wet, uh, inside of a uh, rain fly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a, that's a good point to hit on that double wall. We kind of just skipped on it, but ventilation, condensation, and that interaction with, are you pressed up against it? I can think of even uh, a Sierra Designs tent that I used to run that kind of fell within this category, but it was also a bit of a hybrid. Um, so the foot end of the tent was actually single wall 
up towards the midsection through your head. It was a front entry tent. It had like vestibules and a dual wall structure. Um, and it was really nice, you know, up top because you had the vestibules for space. The fly itself was picking up the condensation. You weren't in contact with that. But the whole lower half being single wall, not having that um, external fly, if you will, was just full of condensation for the whole trip and drove me nuts because the bottom half of my sleeping bag was essentially constantly wet. So again, another nice thing with these, and that goes back into size, right? Like how tight is this tent? How close up against the wall are you? Um, that's another thing worth hitting in general, whether it's this category of tent, the others we talk about is it's really easy to look at the dimensions of a tent, um, the footprint of the tent, meaning how long is it? How wide is it? But that does not always give you a good understanding of usable space, depending on how the walls are structured. If they are more vertical, you're going to have more usable space. Um, But if they start to pitch in, um, say like a teepee, for example, which we'll talk about here shortly, you can use, or sorry, you can lose a lot of usable space, even though this footprint of the tent is big and wide and has good dimensions on the floor. What is the usability when you're sitting up, um, when you're moving around, that type of thing? So that's just something to keep an eye on. And as you mentioned, Steve, like it's for this category of tent, especially for guys who are newer, some guys just don't like mentally, they don't want to take the jump of floorless sleeping on the ground. They want to feel enclosed. Like that's mostly in your head, but it is real, especially when you're new to it of the feeling of security of being in a tent like this can be a real thing for some guys. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we talked about that in length a lot of times, just sitting around, you know, campfire dudes, like, uh, it's, it's a hundred percent in your head, but it is, like you said, very real and that, um, you just feel safer and more comfy and may possibly sleep better when you're inside a fully enclosed tent. Obviously, if a bear wants to get you, that you know, twenty D cell nylon's not going to do anything yeah. uh, to protect you. But it, it does. Uh, I specifically remember uh, I was on a solo deer hunt here in Idaho, and literally right at dark, I was glassing this basin below me, and I looked back on the ridge, and there's a mountain lion like sneaking across the ridge, and um, I had tent set up, you know, probably well, two hundred yards below me, and uh, I basically just like hauled butt down that hill. Uh, kept shining the flashlight, you know, my headlamp behind me every 20 steps, making sure there's no eyes right there looking at me. Uh, and I crawled in that tent and I was like, okay, I'm safe. I'm good. You know, <laughs> like, like, yeah. like it wouldn't matter at all, but it was definitely, uh, um, I think if I had been in a, a bivy sack or basically what I'm using now, a bivy sack and a, and a tarp, I wouldn't have felt that comfortable. I probably would have like packed that up and headed down the mountain even further, which, you know, it's completely ridiculous, but it's true. So. Yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about floral shelters a little bit as a category. Um, we're separating that a bit from tarp and bivy, which we'll end up talking about. But here, we're not so much tarp, but a floral shelter where it is a single wall, but more of a structure. Um, so think of a TP, think of that style. It seems like these are ever increasing in terms of options and popularity um, over the last five plus years for sure. Um there's all kinds of shapes and sizes and options. Um, I think of even going back to my very first elk hunt, I took a Mountain Smith Mountain Shelter LT, um, which is a small floral shelter, trekking pole supported, um, like a hundred bucks. It was cheap and it was light and I was all about it. 
Um, it was an example of a tent that wasn't very livable. Um, if you're laying down, if you're prone, it's great, but it just didn't have much height to it, that type of thing. Um, you know, you can step up to a, a shelter I've used a lot, like a seek outside Cimarron, TB style shelter, um, pole supported, not with a trekking pole because it needs more height than that. So you can use a trekking pole extension or seek outside has like a carbon pole that you use for that structure. There's a lot of versatility with these. Um, as I mentioned, all kinds of shapes and sizes. Some of them are very modular, so you can have like a base piece, essentially. You can put annexes on that or make other connections. And so this is kind of like a, a very wide open category in terms of the possibilities of what's out there. Um, anything, again, from like incredibly small trekking pole supported up to just massive, massive shelters that, again, you could run a stove in, that type of thing. Um, again, definitely a category to look at of the points we mentioned earlier on usable space, because these walls, if they're very slanted, these shelters can be not very usable in terms of livability beyond sleeping. And then also footprint, again, can be a big factor. You get into these teepees, um, not even the huge, like I'm not talking like 10 man, which exists out there, but even the smaller, like two, three man, um, the footprint can just be massive on these guys. So um, that's going to be a big factor is number one, finding a site that can accommodate the footprint. And then the other thing, being a floorless shelter, is being extra careful with site selection so that you're not putting yourself in a position where theoretically, you know, water could traverse through, you're in a low spot, you're in a bowl, you have some sort of run essentially that could let moisture into there. Um, so yeah, those are just some of the things I think through in general, the, the space for the weight that you can get can be pretty good, can be imp pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, and some guys, just that mental leap of like getting the floros is, is a jump for sure. But what are your thoughts on this category, Steve? Yeah. Um, I think going from a traditional tent is, um, kind of like say backpacking for dummies, but just very easy. You can't really mess it up. Once you start jumping into floorless shelters, uh, they're going to become more complicated. They're going to typically require a lot more stakes. Um, that's a downside to them. Like a, any TP is going to basically have one pole in the middle, and then you're going to require anywhere from eight to a dozen stakes going around the perimeter to pitch everything tight. Um, so stakes become very important. The ground that you're you're putting the stakes into, you got to be pay attention to. Like I was kind of hinted at with non-freestanding uh, traditional tents, um, you don't want to pitch it uh, in an area where you got to worry about water running through. So um, you you need to either kind of dig trenches around the perimeter. To, if so, if, if rain does come, it's going to kind of divert. Um, definitely, yeah, they, the upside, like you said, is you can get a lot of livable space for the weight. The downside is they just start getting a little bit more complicated um, in some regards to, to pitching them. Um, and uh, so it's, to me, um, you, you start looking at this if you're packing trekking poles and you, and you want to save every ounce of weight you can and, and maximize using, uh, say, on a smaller one. Um, using that trucking pole as your pole structure, um, and uh, and then just some weight savings there. The obviously the tents, um, the the TP models, and some other ones that come with the option of adding a stove. 
for, for late season, cold, nasty weather, there's some pretty big benefits to that. Um, I think for general September, October, it's probably pretty overkill, but you know, yeah, if you're, if I was, uh, if I was you and I was coming out to Colorado and, you know, third season rifle, uh, a, a teepee with a stove is probably something I would be pretty, you know, pretty heavily looking at, uh, just in the fact that you're, you're committed to being out there for that week. And if you do hit bad weather, uh, you can get in there, get that stove going, dry stuff out, get comfortable. It's going to, going to keep you out there in the field a lot longer. Um, they don't, in my opinion, uh, obviously you still need, uh, if you got that stove, you still really need, um, you know, a sleeping bag that's appropriate for the weather. Cause it, those things are in general pretty tiny and, uh, within 30 seconds of the flame going out, your, your tent is 10 degrees like it is outside. So, uh, unless someone's willing to stay up all night and just continually stoke that fire, uh, you need to pay attention to that. But, um, some serious upsides, like I said, just at the, the, um, the cost of added complexity, probably pitching, uh, condensation on TPs can be really, really miserable. Like you said, um, cause they are single wall and there's a lot of fabric there. Um, they just in general don't vent that well. Um, and footprint space is, is the big one. They, they, uh, the, they require a large area to, to pitch, um, and can, can be more finicky on, um, they can be kind of tough if you're pitched on somewhat of a slight slope to get everything nice and tight to, to handle high winds and you want it, you want the fabric tight, um, for condensation. So it kind of can run down faster and not be drooping and sagging on you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a couple things to consider there. You mentioned all the sticks, not only to stick the shelter out, but that comes into play of you get into these style of shelters. A lot of them need a lot of guy out points. So from the body, you're going to have guy lines, which also need sticks and so for for some of these shelters to get them set up and then pitched well and taut and stable, I mean, it can look like a spider web of complexity coming off of these things <laughs> yeah. between staking the body out and then adding guy lines. So that is something to consider for sure. Um, I think these play a better role when you're not as mobile um, just because mm-hmm. the pitching can be a lot of work it can be finicky site selection can be tough so you really need to dedicate some time to setting this up properly and being able to find the space for it or you just need to go with something you know you can get a flora shelter that's essentially one man pole supported really simple and straightforward but if you're looking more like tp style um, the bigger options are going to have livable space or just you know plenty of space for a couple of guys in a year man, you're not going to want to be setting that thing up every day, tearing it down every day, trying to find a spot every day. Um, it's just a nightmare. But like you said, if you're packing yeah, in somewhere for, yeah, if you're packing in for five days and, you know, doing a base camp or you have a base camp at a truck or that type of scenario, then they can be great for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Staying super mobile, Steve, um, super light. You've gone tarp and bivy. Um, that's your preferred method for most of your hunting, call it, you know, September, October stuff for sure. Your personal hunts there. I know for you, even this was a transition. Like this was Mm -hmm. something that took some testing. You experienced certain things with the other shelters we talked about that pushed you this direction. You figured some things out that it works well in certain conditions. There's certain things to look out for. So just like kind of talk about your personal experience of getting into this category, lessons you've learned, things you're looking for. 
So, yeah, started backpacking very much. Um, probably how most guys are going to do it. Hike in there three to five, six miles, whatever it is. Set up a tent. Hunt from that tent for, you know, four days. Um, so everything becomes a lot less critical. Um, weight is less critical because pack in that tent time, right, for your four miles and you're setting it up and then it's not on your back for the entire rest of the trip. Uh, so if it's a pound or two heavier, kind of big deal. Um, complexity to the pitch isn't near as important because, you know, you are just doing it, tear, setting it up once, tearing it down once. Um, and condensation isn't as important. Uh, so in the mornings, if it's soaking wet, it doesn't really matter. You're just leaving the tent and the sun's going to hit it, you know, most likely during the day and completely dry it out. So everything's a lot, lot less critical when you're talking about going and setting up a base camp. When you talk about packing up camp every morning, um, then things start. It's like a level of magnitude, like condensation really does matter, uh, because the, you know, if you're every morning packing up a soaking wet tent and you're throwing it in your pack, then you got to be, you know, pay attention to midday, pulling that thing back out of your tent or your pack, letting it dry out. So when you go to set it up at night, it's not soaking wet. Um, how quick and how quick and easy it is to set up, tear down becomes very important. Uh, again, just you're doing it every single day. Um, the weight becomes important. It's on your back all day long. Uh, you know, everything's just more important. So you start uh, just looking at all those things and and um, Man, you just really go down a rabbit hole. I, I did uh, <laughs> trying out different shelters, different options. Um, you know, some of the, um, I guess like you know, I can go back to Fly Creek. That's a, it's actually a decent shelter. It's, it's very quick and easy to pitch. Um, not a big deal. It's uh, not super critical of the ground being super flat underneath you. Um, and then it does the fly being separate. You can kind of gingerly take that off in the morning and keep it separate. Uh, from the, the inner body. Uh, um, so you can just kind of like pull that off, throw it like, you know, in an exo pack, I'm going to stuff it in that front stretch panel probably. Um, and, or on the new K threes, you can drop it down on the water bladder sleeve. Um, and then pull, you know, pull that out midday. Um, but, uh, and it's a good lightweight option. I, I said for me, um, kind of the same time we started packing up camp every morning is also the same time that I started using trekking poles and just being, um, you know, a great rule when you're backpacking is everything should have dual purpose. So, I'm, you know, it's like tough when I'm packing a tent with tent poles that sit in the pack all day. But at the same time, I've got two trekking poles strapped to my pack. Um, and it's just like, OK, this makes a lot of sense to find a tent that uses trekking poles. Um, so I started going down that road. Um, the problem with trekking pole supported tents in general is that you are um, the livable space in them can be not that great, right? Because you've just got one pole running up the middle and they kind of take that TP pyramid shape where you have very sloped walls uh, and they require a big footprint. Um, so there's some tents out there that use a trekking pole and then have some uh, kind of support rods, you know, down by the foot, up by the head that to kind of help increase that livable space. My current um, current one I'm using right now is a... Uh, um, outside of my baby sack and tarp is a tarp tent, uh, Eon Lee, uh, tarp tent is actually the name of the company. Um, and it's, yeah, basically a, a trekking pole in the middle and then it's got, um, three little, you know, eight inch carbon rods that stick up in the corners of it and they really increase that livable space on the inside. Um, it's a great one. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, a big sky wisp is one I've used in the past. Um, had the potential to be awesome tent, 
but the con it was actually one where single wall tent um, on the inside of it on the on the back wall and the condensation was so miserable and it basically just ran right down to the floor and just sat on the floor all night. Um, so in cold cold weather, lots of moisture in the air. That was a, a not a great choice, but it was a great uh, site entry. I had a good layout to it. That the condensation issue had been fixed to be a really good choice. But um, so yeah, I'm using looking for tents that use a trekking pole, and I've just bounced around and tried a lot of different options. I did um, um, eventually use get a bivy sack and a tarp. Um, and yeah, that first two years, especially on a solo hunt, I I did not like it. Uh, like it was a struggle <laughs> of feeling comfortable in the tent at night. And, um, and then my, you know, the, the lightweight side of me that was really liking the versatility of it, how light it was, I could pitch the thing anywhere. Um, but at the same time, I was just not sleeping good. Uh, it just took a while to get used to. And it, I mean, literally two years of it now it's, um, it's kind of a moot point. Like I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. I've, I've gotten used to it. Um, I've actually, for a while there, I was always pitching the tarp, even if it was clear skies. Now, I like the last two seasons, I never even, um, unless it's cloudy skies. And, and obviously, the huge thing to have, benefit to have, is the inreaches now that I can pull weather. So if it's looking iffy, I'll just pull weather on, on the inreach. And right then and there, I'll get an hourly forecast uh, of what the night's going to look like. And, you know, if it's like, 10% or less chance of precipitation. I don't even pitch the, uh, the fly. So, which just makes it incredibly easy in the morning to, uh, basically take the air out of my pad, throw everything in my pack and off I go. Um, so for me, that has been, um, I'm going to say it's not for everybody, but that baby sack tarp combination, uh, just has so much adjustability, flexibility. I can sleep anywhere. Um, the tarp, uh, both of the the things I use are by, by uh, Jimmy's Tarps. It's a small company out of Oregon, um, and uh, they, it's been great, great for me. Um, there, there's uh, the tarp, even when it's moisture in the air. There's very, very little condensation on it in the morning. There's so much ventilation. Basically, like three out of the four walls, uh, well, only one wall goes to the ground. The back wall, everything else is is open. Um, you do have to be very careful pitching that in, in a spot where I don't have to worry about wind because uh, wind could come through. You know, if you're up on a, a exposed ridge, um, you'd have to be very definitely pitch the, uh, the wall that's down to the ground into the wind side. If the wind switched on you in the middle of the night, you could have a, a giant sail there, uh, which could be an issue, but I've, I've never had to, to deal with that just being smart about it. Um, but yeah, it's just the, uh, it's the utmost in versatility. It's, it's a great, one man shelter option. It's not ideal though. Um, you know, I, I basically always have, um, you know, a tent at the truck. Um, kind of, we know we've talked about in the past. I have this extra tote of extra gear, extra rain gear, extra food, extra fuel canisters and uh, extra pad, just kind of old stuff in case something goes wrong on a hunt. Um, it's sitting there at the truck so I can, I don't have to go back to town or drive home and get something replaced. Uh, and typically I have a tent in there too, because if, uh, the weather change changes suddenly when, when I'm leaving the trailhead, um, again, I, I'll pull the in reach out if, if the weather, you know, but when I'm leaving town, the weather looks iffy, like it could go one way or the other. I'll double check the weather at the trailhead. And sometimes I do like, okay, I'm leaving the tarp and baby sack in here and, 
that I'm going to pull out the tent for this trip. So it's definitely uh, the tarpon bivy isn't a do it all uh, situation. I wouldn't recommend it for late season um, when you're going to encounter heavy snow. Um, there's some serious, uh, you know, things you got to consider there. But for 95% of the time, September, October, it is, you know, hands down my favorite choice. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. We we touched on in the beginning, but just to reiterate, as you look at these categories and these shelters and these options, some are just going to be a lot more specialized and some going to be a lot more general. And so if you're the guy who needs a shelter to cover a wide variety of conditions, you know, whether that's hunting season in September, October, but then general backpacking with the family or a kid or whatever, then, you know, again, maybe that's going to drive you towards the traditional tent. If you can afford to have like a few different options in your arsenal and can specialize, then that means you can go, okay, I'm going to have a tarp and a bivy for this. Um, Maybe I have like a late season nasty weather shelter, or, you know, maybe you have the situation where here's my solo shelter Here's a shelter option where if I'm going with a buddy, you know, that's what I take. So, again, no one right answer. It's just a matter of considering what these different options are and what works for you, your needs, your budget, and all that stuff for sure. Um, yeah. Steve, on tarps, it's easy to to look at tarps in general. And there's, a, I guess, a lot of different options out there. Some are very general and universal, and they can give you this like oh here's this tarp and 15 ways to pitch it and then other options are going to be here's this tarp here's the way it's cut here's the way to pitch it or maybe two ways to pitch it that versatility of these different options sounds great in the beginning but i found from my personal experience it just ends up being a pain in the butt because it can do a lot of different setups but none Mm -hmm. of them truly incredibly well like what what's your thought on looking at tarp options um, and kind of picking or narrowing down some things to look for. Um, yeah, to be honest with you, the the uh, Jimmy's tarp that I use, it's definitely not, it's not your typical kind of A-frame tarp. It, it's got a shape to it. It's basically like a side entry. Um, yeah, it's it's not your typical tarp. Um, there are they get complex. I, I would um, the the cool thing I found is that. Um, I've been able to just with different guy out points on that, on the tarp. I I've, you know, I guess that those first couple years when I was frustrated with it, um, I stuck with it, but I was frustrated with it. Yeah. Was, there's that learning curve of, of getting used to how to pitch it and whatnot. Um, if it has enough guy out points, you can kind of just, it may not look pretty, but eventually you're going to get the thing tight. And so it's not flapping in the wind on you. Um, and, and that's been my experience was, you know, there's times I've literally like, taken the fabric and wrapped it around a tree uh, and then tied the guide rope <laughs> around it like you know what i mean like yeah. it was not pretty it was not how it was supposed to be pitched but it could do it like obviously you're not going to have that option um anywhere else like that um oh man there's one specific one i remember i slept uh got to the top of the mountain it was a deer hunt here in idaho by myself uh got to the top of the mountain there's just beautiful spot a uh, big old deer bed that I was literally right where I wanted to be to glass in the morning, um, right at the very top of the mountain and just a, basically a bush right behind it. And I'm just sitting there going like, I don't, I want to sleep here, but it's supposed to rain tonight. And I don't know how the heck I'm going to get the tarp here. And I just kind of went for it. Um, and yeah, I literally, I just took the fabric, wrapped it around the, the bush in certain places and, and made it work. And it was great. 
um, no way in the world any other tent could have I could have slept right there. Um, there's a great example of that versatility that I was up on top of this pretty rocky, jagged peak. I would have had to hike down about 500 feet to a saddle um, to find a place. So if I had any other tent option in that morning, I would have had to pack up early and climb that 500 feet back up to the top. So I think that the style of having this super versatile baby sack tarp shelter and hunting with camp on your back, you in the end burn so much less energy because you can, there's just so many more places you can sleep um, and you don't have to be going way out of your way to find a flat spot. And then especially something like a, a mule deer hunt where you have a spot you want to be when, when, when the sun's coming up first light for glassing. Um, like I said, I was just able to sleep right there and, and literally wake up. Um, I don't even think I got out of my sleeping bag. I had my binos on a tripod ready to go. Just kind of swung, swung the baby sack out the door, the, the front opening of the tarp and, and started glassing. So, um, definitely, uh, just, I don't know. I, I love the system. There's so much versatility to it. Uh, but again, acknowledging it's, it's not for everybody. It takes some getting used to learning curves, setting up the tarp, um, all, all that stuff above. But if you committed to it, um, I think it's the best option. Yeah. So there's a, another category that we didn't hit yet that has a very passionate following. So if somebody's made it this long and this is the type of shelter they use, they're probably like, why don't you say hammock? <laughs> <laughs> um, we actually did talk about hammocks in depth back in episode 168. So if you guys want to understand hammocks, pros and cons, what to look for in a hammock, when they're useful, when they're not the right choice... I would just say go to that um, episode and check that out because it is a, a good full-length end-up discussion on that. Steve, you and I both tried hammocks. There's pros to them, yes, but neither of us, um, I'd say, like rely on them as one of our primary methods. And so for this, it was just a, a matter of covering the more traditional shelter types um, and, and what most guys would be using. But hammocks can be a good choice for sure. Um, I still use them to this day in certain situations. That's just not my go-to for most of my hunting um and so yeah that's that's not um not high on my list for that but yeah hammocks episode 168 steve going into this one we we had great intentions of talking about shelters and sleep systems and as usual we ended up talking about gear for way longer than than we thought <laughs> and didn't get to sleep systems <laughs> um, too easy to do <laughs> too easy to do let's hit the like as a highlight a, a couple things one is Pointing you back to a previous episode again, episode 130, we did talk about sleeping bags and quilts in depth. Um, we talked about what to look for. We talked about the pros and the cons to each, how to choose a quilt or a sleeping bag, which one's right. So a lot of that um, background and thought is in that episode 130. But for this one specifically, what would you say about how the shelter choice, everything we've talked about so far can affect or impact your choice in sleep system? Um, yeah. And there, there's going to be certain structures. Um, certain tents are warmer than others. Uh, noticeably, uh, a big Agnes flight Creek, super warm tent. That one man, um, it's, it's pretty well enclosed. Um, your body heat heats that thing up pretty well. I remember, um, uh, I had a, um, soon to a watch that would do this when i'd first gotten that watch this was yeah i don't know six years ago or something like that and i was i had done a, a late um elk hunt here and uh backpacked in solo 
Um, and the watch, I think it was 28 degrees in the tent, but actually like 19 degrees outside the tent. So in the morning, I, you know, the watch was just sitting there next to me on the ground, kind of, you know, by my head, um, looked it up. It's like, Oh, it's only 28. Um, and then basically I think I saw like, I'm curious what the temperatures outside stuck, you know, stuck my hand underneath the fly and stuck out there on the ground, packed up camp went and then went to look at the watch again. It was like 19 and I couldn't believe that there was a 10 degree difference between the inside and outside. Um, and, uh, so that it was pretty shocking to me, I guess that, that there was that much of a difference. So tent, um, can make a pretty significant impact on, on how warm you sleep at night. Um, the, other tents, uh, tarp tent moment DW I've had, had the fly was pretty high off the ground. Uh, and the reason they're doing that was to get better ventilation to reduce condensation, but it was a very cold tent. Like I would say inside the tent, I never confirmed this, but it's probably the exact same temperature as outside, um, because of how it's designed. So, um, I think a TP with two guys inside of it and you pitch the, the fabric all the way to the ground, all the way in the perimeter is probably going to be a pretty warm tent. You got two people heating up the inside of that. Um, so just something to consider that if you're a cold sleeper, certain tents are going to, uh, lend themselves to, to being warmer on the inside, uh, just through heating up of your, of your, your body heat. Um, typically the downside of that is going to be increased condensation. Um, the one huge upside I love to the bivy sack is it also is, it probably adds five to 10 degrees to my sleeping bag. So if I had a, a, a 20 degree bag, it probably makes it a 15, uh, maybe better. Right. Um, because it's just, it's kind of wrapping a trash bag all around your sleeping bag. So, uh, the heat tends to stay in there better, something that, and it, I think it really lends itself well with a quilt. Um, cause it's not, you, you know, less prone to getting kind of side drafts if, if you roll over and the, the quilt side lifts up the backside of it. Um, so, um, yeah. And then pad is pad. Pad's always important. Um, we, we just recently talked about that on that Monday minute, um, of, uh, make sure you have a good R value, you know, it, bare minimum in the threes, preferably closer to four, uh, super, super important to have a good R value in your pad. I can't tell you how many guys I've talked to over the years that, um, uh, just freeze and, and I ask them what pad they're using. It's like an uninsulated pad and, um, they just have no clue the, the importance of that. So, yeah, good considerations. And, you know, uh, obviously think through if you're doing floorless, if you're not using a bivy, um, as we talked about, protecting that pad with the ground cloth, that type of thing. So a lot of common mm. sense stuff. But again, if somebody's completely new to that and um, are looking um, at those options, it's just things to think through. Um, something I've always done in the past is um, there's a polycro material. So it's just like a super thin, light plastic. It's basically almost like the stuff you uh, that people seal their windows with, like in the winter, um, that type of thing. You can get sheets of that. You can do Tyvek, that type of thing. So protect that pad too. If you're in a floral shelter would be um, an obvious consideration there. Cool. Hopefully this was helpful for you guys. Again, the goal wasn't here's our shelter recommendation or here's the best shelter. The goal is to help you guys think through what options are out there, what needs you have, and then consider what choices um, you should make according to your needs and according to the options that are out there. Um, there are, man, just endless options on the market, it seems. And um, even looking at, we've talked about REI and the traditional tents, but they're even exploring, actually, um, our buddy Emery um, from Byland just sent me a link. They're doing a, 
a trekking pole single man shelter now through REI that looks really nice. So even in that, mm-hmm. um, what was probably restricted to the cottage industry in terms of super light type stuff, there's more and more of that coming from the bigger brands as well. So there's just going to continue to be more and more options. But hope you guys enjoyed that one and tune back in for the rest of this series as we talk about pack essentials and hit all the other gear that comes into considering for your next backpack hunt.